It's fair to say that married couples don't always get on, and traditionally, many wanted to get divorced. But unless you were Henry VIII, you were probably married until death. But in the 1920s and 30s, an almost textbook path was provided on how to get one. In today's episode of the Historical Crimes and Criminals podcast, we look at the Brighton Quickie. Historical Crimes and Criminals podcast. I'm Steve, your host, and it's another History Bite episode. We have to start by looking at divorce laws in England in the 1920s and 30s. English law did not allow for divorce by mutual consent, but rather required proof of adultery or violence by one party. Misconduct by both parties could lead to the divorce being refused. Divorce was seen as a remedy for the innocent against the guilty, so that if one spouse had committed adultery, they could be divorced, but if both had, they couldn't. Well, unless the court chose to exercise its discretion, and that discretion itself was covered by peculiar rules of its own. To add a further hurdle, the law strictly prohibited collusion by the parties, This could extend to any form of negotiation between them. An official, the King's Proctor, was charged with seeking out any evidence of the parties working together to secure a divorce. Many couples of the time chose to petition on the grounds of adultery, even when no adultery had been committed. So, how was it done? The answer was simplicity itself. When a couple agreed that they wanted a divorce, then the proceedings were usually set in motion by the husband. Let me give you an example of an upper-middle-class couple from London, let's call them Mr and Mrs Smith, who didn't want to be married anymore. They'd been living apart for a couple of years and had both found partners they wanted to marry. The husband in question would generally approach and pay a fee to someone in the know, perhaps through his club, perhaps someone who knew someone, who would know how to set things in motion and hire the right people for their part in divorce proceedings. Firstly, a young London actress would be hired to act as Mr Smith's love interest and would be followed to Victoria Station by a private detective for all intents and purposes, hired by Mrs Smith, who had her suspicions. All the way to Brighton. And for my foreign listeners, that's about an hour's journey south from London on the train, and it is a lovely seaside getaway. And this couple would be witnessed holding hands on the train. At Brighton, the couple would be observed walking arm in arm, while shopping, 
They would then book into a hotel under the names of Mr and Mrs Jones, the hotel proprietor, who was never in on the plot, would then become an unlikely witness to moral misdeeds. The next morning, the chambermaid, who would be very much part of the plot, would inadvertently walk in on the couple in bed together. She would feign embarrassment and leave the room, but very much a witness that he had bedded his mistress, even if, under the covers, the two culprits were very much clothed. At this point, with the witnesses and some photographs taken by the private detective of the couple walking arm in arm, there would be ample evidence for the wife to apply for a divorce under the grounds of unreasonable behaviour. After the trial, there would be a six-month waiting period until the decree nisi granted at the trial was made absolute. And let me just quickly explain. The decree nisi is essentially saying you've met all the criteria, but there's a six-month period before a, a decree absolute is given and then you can legally remarry. Any misconduct by the innocent party during the six months or any evidence in collusion coming to light could possibly annul the divorce. So the couple had to be discreet for at least the next six months. And that, my dear listeners, is what became known as a bright and quickie. Well, that's it for another episode of the Historical Crimes and Criminals podcast. I hope you enjoyed that, and until the next time, bye-bye.